Well, as we, uh, as we get started this morning, I'm going uh, to be real vulnerable with you for a minute, okay? And you might be thinking, Pastor Jen, we already know your whole life story, and you have shared an annoying amount of anecdotes about your life. What could you possibly have left to be vulnerable about? Which is a good question. In the name of vulnerability, I'm going to share with you my most recent Google search history. I mean, what's more vulnerable than that, right? Now, this history does not include the billions of things that I've looked up for, like my sermon, for my internship, for the classes that I'm taking right now. These are just the the random questions that I have asked Google in the past week that have nothing to do with anything. For instance, why is the cursor on my Word document starting above the margin? Because I couldn't figure out how to get it to change. Is Chick-fil-A coming to DeKalb? Very important question. I Googled somebody who's, uh, whose name I couldn't remember, who, who was, lived on the street that I used to live on, and I saw her across the room at a restaurant, and I could remember her last name and her husband's name and all of her kids' names, but I could not remember her name. Google came through for me. Her name is Sheila, in case you were wondering. What year did David Stern become commissioner? Do I have any idea who David Stern is? No, I do not. Uh, he was an NBA commissioner, right? NBA commissioner. This came up in a budget team meeting. So I Googled it. How was the Iron Dome built? Because I didn't know. Thought it was pretty interesting. How quickly does Benadryl work on dogs? <laughs> Duncan is fine. Can ask me about that later. How old is Travis Kelsey? If you know, you know. It's fine. What's the punishment for underage smoking? I know this was a part of a conversation that we had, but I actually can't remember why I Googled that one. And the last one was why, what purpose do yellow jackets serve? Because I was wondering at what point of the year they go back to hell from whence they came. (laughs) So there you have it. This is a quick glimpse into the inner workings of my brain. It's a scary place up there. But the thing is, I legitimately have been thinking about this Uh, since we did our Generations panel last month when Joel made the comment that he just does not know how he would function if he couldn't look up everything that he wanted or needed to know. And I I was thinking about the days where our living room was lined with bookshelves and the bookshelves were lined with the Encyclopedia Britannica. And I would sit at the kitchen table handwriting my homework assignment And then I'd have to go over and pull out the corresponding letter from the Encyclopedia Britannica to look up the stuff that I wanted to look up. And then, God forbid, there was a word in that explanation that I did not know. Then I had to take the encyclopedia downstairs into my basement, which is where we kept my grandfather's giant dictionary on a big wooden stand. And I had to look that word up so that I could understand the description in the Encyclopedia Britannica. And that was how we did our homework. It was exhausting. Outside of that, if we wanted to learn things, if we wanted to learn how to change a flat tire or how to sew a button, we had to find somebody who knew how to change a flat tire or sew a button, and they they would teach us, right? Now, uh, is Jamie here? Jamie Phillips was on that panel. He's over here. You guys are sitting in different places today. It really throws me. (laughs) Jamie was on that panel. Jamie and I are around the same age, and he made a comment about how much he loves being a part of this generation, We're the only generation in existence that had a completely analog childhood and a completely digital adulthood. 
We grew up before the internet was a thing in everyday life, so we remember what it was like to not have technology in our pockets. We remember what it was to hang out with friends and wonder, what's the punishment for underage smoking? (laughs) Only to have our friends go, beats me. And then we would make that decision based on pure speculation and adolescent stupidity, right? All that said, I know what it was to live with curiosity and unanswered questions. And I know what it is to live with access to all of the world's information in the palm of my hand. And while others may disagree, I think that is part of why I'm so comfortable with the idea of mystery. This morning, as we are closing out our series, Why, we, we've been talking about some of, the, some of the most common questions that we have around this life of faith. And so over the past five weeks, we've talked about questions like, why bother with the church? Why are Christians known as hypocrites? Why am I here? Why did God let it happen? Why didn't God answer my prayer? And as we close the series with our sixth and final question this week, we're going to look at the question, why is God so mysterious? Now, if you've been here throughout this series, you've obviously noticed that most of my messages came with a little bit of a caveat, right? That caveat was generally about the fact that I probably will not answer the question of the day sufficiently for you, especially not the particular specific question that you are struggling with right now. It wasn't because I didn't want to do the work. Clearly, it wasn't because I don't know how to Google the information on all of these topics. The reason that I didn't sufficiently answer all of those questions for you isn't because I don't want to, but because I can't. I can tell you why I believe there is suffering in the world, but I cannot tell you why you specifically had to go through the thing that you went through. I can tell you that prayer changes things, but I cannot tell you why your specific prayer wasn't answered. And I can't do that because I believe that there are things about God that we don't know, that we can't know, that we are not meant to know. You see, we have created this society where we think or where we assume that we can fully know and understand anything that we want to, right? We knew that there was more to learn about the ocean or about space, and so we began exploring both of those things. We continue to make advancements in just about everything, technology and medicine and science and weather and space and oceans and you name it. We're constantly trying to figure these things out. And that's amazing. I'm all for that. I'm all for the advancement of all of those things and I so love and appreciate the brilliant minds that discover things that we do not yet know. I love that. And the reality is that we have tried to do this with God Also, we have interpreted and reinterpreted scriptures out of their original texts, out of their original languages. We have parsed every last sentence and learned the historical context as best we can to better understand the intention, whatever the intention that we think the writer had when they wrote. We have read every extra biblical source from ancient days to understand the culture's 
as thoroughly as we possibly can. We have made lists of all of the names of God that come from scripture so that we can try to understand what God calls himself in hopes that we could understand God more clearly. We have not only used every resource and every brilliant mind among us, but we have also as a church trusted in the faithfulness of the saints who have gone before us, who have sat in the presence of the Spirit, getting to know the God of all creation. There's something within us that longs to know God more deeply. The difficult thing about this particular journey is that we are trying to use our finite minds to grasp an infinite God. And since that is an impossibility, we end up trying to make God fit into this little box that we think we can contain God in. Right, we put God in boxes all the time. These boxes are so small and then we, we kind of set them up on our own personal little shelves and when we want something from God, we, we pull that box off the shelf and we, we kind of ask for whatever aspect of God we happen to need in that moment and then we put God back on that shelf until we need something else from him. It's one of our ways of trying to understand a God who cannot be fully understood Now, I realize that on some level, I'm kind of oversimplifying what is, for many of us, a really beautiful and complex relationship with the God who loves us. But I also think that if we are honest with ourselves, we would admit to our own controlling attempts to fully grasp God, to make God fit into something or someone that we can more fully understand. But as the great Augustine once said, If you understand, it is not God. If you understand, it is not God. And even beyond American culture itself, the church in America loves black and white thinking. And yet, if you understand, it is not God. Irony of ironies. But before we get any further on this, I want to be clear that being known and being incomprehensible are not the same thing. God has gifted us with the Bible, with his spirit, that we would know God more deeply. So I'm not saying that God cannot be known. God so wants to be known by us. I'm saying that God cannot be known fully. There is a mystery to God that is not a code that is meant to be cracked, but an aspect of God that God never desired for us to know. Now, for some of us, that mystery is a beautiful thing. We like to lean into that mystery. For others of us, that mystery is infuriating. And at times, that mystery might be the very thing that makes it feel like a relationship, a real personal relationship with God is not possible. And I I get that. But if the mystery of God is something that you struggle with, I'm hoping that we can help you navigate that just a little bit this morning. Some of the greatest mystics and scholars and theologians of all time came to the same conclusion, that we will spend this life and eternity getting to know God. That just when we think we have been able to grasp some small piece of who God is, there will always be more to explore, more to know There's a a Scottish minister, his name is David Gibson, and I love the way that he talks about this particular subject. 
As he's talking about the reality that God can be known but not fully known, he said that it's actually a really good thing for us, for those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus. And I thought, well, good. I want to know why. I want to know why that's a good thing for us. Because maybe if I understand why that's a good thing for us, that God is mysterious, it'll be easier for us to live with the mystery, right? This is what Gibson said. It's good for us because it makes us humble. And it teaches us the limits of being a creature. And I read that and was like, well, that's very annoying. (laughs) Right? It makes us humble. And it helps us understand our limits as God's created one. That's, That's great. Humility and limits, just what we love. Right? But Gibson is so right. Several times in this this series that we're doing right now, we have talked about Adam and Eve in the garden, and, and we did that because so much of what we experience and so much of who we are goes back to that moment in time. When you hear people talk about that one moment with Adam and Eve in the garden, when, when they chose something other than God, we often hear it talked about as this moment where Adam and Eve turned away from God. But it wasn't that they turned away from God, it's that they tried to be God. They were tempted to know all that God knows. Man, isn't that still tempting for us today? We want to control all the things. We want to know all the things. We want to have all of the knowledge. But that's not what God created us for. God created us with limitations. And in American culture that tells us that you can be and learn and do anything you want, the idea of having limitations doesn't sit well with us, does it? God told us that we can know this much, but no more. That we can go here, but no further. But our culture does not do well with limitations. So it makes sense that we would struggle with that idea in our faith as well. And so I want to use what is perhaps a bit of an unexpected text this morning. Do you remember the story of a man named Job? Even people maybe who haven't grown up in church at all, who aren't super super familiar with the Bible, you may have heard little bits and pieces of the story of Job. He was the guy whose life went so wrong. If it went wrong, it happened to Job. And Job was a good person. At the very beginning of the book of Job in chapter one, it says that Job was was blameless and upright, that he feared God and shunned evil. I'm not sure how many of us feel like we could justifiably be called blameless by God, but Job was blameless and upright. So he wasn't just a good guy, he he was a really good guy. And he had everything. He had the wife and the kids and the family and the money and the stuff, he had it all. And then Job lost everything. His animals were killed, his land was burned up, his kids and their spouses were killed in in a windstorm that collapsed the house in on them. And then Job was given this horribly painful skin condition. All right, this guy knew suffering. And the majority of the book of Job is a conversation that takes place between Job and his three friends who came to sit with him in his suffering. In fact, the conversation's It's so long. It began in Job chapter 3, and that conversation goes all the way to Job chapter 37. And while his friends were sympathetic at first and should get some credit for showing up and sitting with him in the midst of his despair, 
they spend the majority of the book giving Job terrible advice. Advice that is so bad that God eventually condemns his friends. But it wasn't until the 38th chapter that God reappears on the scene to talk with Job about what has happened. He has suffered beyond what most of us could ever imagine. His friends were all together unhelpful in his grieving process. And then, and then God shows up and Job comes face to face with the incomprehensibility of God. And Job has the same questions that many of us have. Many of us have had these in our own lives. Why, God? How could you? Where are you? And Job demanded answers. Some of the very answers that we are longing for in this life, especially in the midst of what's going on around the world. And so we have this idea that we're going to look to the end of Job when Job has this conversation with God and God is going to answer all of Job's questions, right? He's going to answer all the things that Job wants answered Except that's not really what happens. That's not what happens at all. We're going to look at Job chapter 38, starting at verse 4. It'll be up on the screen. There's Bibles in front of you if you want to follow along, or you can just listen. Starting at verse 4. This is God talking to Job. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy, who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness, when I fixed the limits for it and set its doors and bars in place, when I said, this far you may come and no farther, Here is where your proud waves halt. Have you ever given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place that it might take the earth by the edges and shake the wicked out of it? The earth takes shape like clay under a seal. Its features stand out like those of a garment. The wicked are denied their light and their upraised arm is broken. Have you journeyed to the springs of the sea? Or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been shown to you? Have you seen the gates of the deepest darkness? Have you comprehended the vast expanses of the earth? Tell me, Job, if you know all this. Have you ever seen any of those drone videos that are flying over the ocean? And there's like a swimmer or a kayaker or surfer and there's a shark nearby and the person in the water can't see it. That's what this passage reminds me of. So often I think we're arrogant enough to think that we can see all of the pieces of the puzzle, right? I mean, we're pretty smart. American culture tells us that we're in control of our own lives We have access to all kinds of information. We have access to all kinds of people who are smarter than we are. But at the end of the day, God is trying to show Job that there are all kinds of pieces to the puzzle that only God can see. Pieces that we are not capable of seeing. Pieces that we were not created to see. Now, it doesn't make those pieces any less real, but because we cannot see them, we tend to start looking for something or someone to blame Because we cannot accept that there is more to the story, more to our story that we do not have access to. 
Our modern, independent, information-gathering brains struggle to accept that there are things that we cannot know. Every line in the last few chapters of Job is more of the same. Not that it gets boring or redundant. It doesn't. It's incredible. And if you've never read it, you should. It's God pointing out every nook and cranny of the universe that he created And he does so to remind Job that despite all that Job can see, there is infinitely more that Job cannot see and will not ever see the sight of heaven. It is the mystery of God. And that is where God chose what God chose to use as his answer to Job in the midst of his grief and suffering. In the midst of many of the questions that we have talked about over the past six weeks. And I don't believe that God did this because he doesn't feel compassion or grief alongside Job for all that, for all that Job has struggled with and for all that Job has lost. We see God's compassionate heart all over scripture. But I do think that perhaps God is trying to help Job and us to realize that there is so much more that we do not know. So much more that we cannot know. How many of you have heard some variation of the line, the older I get, the less I know? How many of you have ever said that, right? Why do we say this as we get older? We say this because it's what happens with wisdom. Now, not that wisdom and age are always correlated. We know that's not true, but wisdom brings a different kind of perspective. Isaiah 55, 8 through 9 says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. There's a theologian by the name of Alistair Begg and he once said, in biblical language, a mystery is not a puzzle waiting to be solved by human ingenuity. Rather, it is a secret that is waiting to be revealed by God. Through the work of his Holy Spirit in our hearts and minds, many of God's mysteries become comprehensible to us. And so I guess that leaves us with a few options. Number one, we can fight God's mystery, spending our lives chasing an understanding of God which we were not created for and which we will never achieve. Number two, we can deny the mystery of God, spending our lives angry, That because there are things we don't and can't know, that God, therefore, must not be good or loving. Number three, we can embrace the mystery of God, knowing full well that there is a difference between being known and being incomprehensible. That God absolutely knows us and desires to be known by us, and we can lean into that mystery, mystery. We can find peace and rest and freedom in that mystery. We can trust that as Jesus draws, as we draw nearer to Jesus, that that God will give us everything that we need and nothing less. To be perfectly honest, I actually really love the mystery of God. And I'm sure that probably sounds somewhat implausible coming from a self-professed control freak, but it's true. I work so hard chasing after the illusion of control in my life that there is something really peaceful to me in knowing that I do not have the capability of fully comprehending God in all of God's ways because I am not meant to. And so as we close this morning, I wonder, have you ever noticed 
how the Gospels end in the Bible. The Gospels are the four books that tell the story of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the very last sentence of all of the Gospels comes in John chapter 21, and this is what it says. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. That's it. That's how it ends. And I love that. I love the beauty and the mystery and the expansiveness of that thought. It's like God acknowledging that we live in a culture that tells us to be more and do more and know more. And into that, God says, it's okay. Not even the whole world can comprehend me fully. You can't know all that I know and you weren't meant to. You don't even have the capacity to. So just spend time with me. Get to know me and I will give you all that you need and nothing less. Friends, this entire sermon series may have appeared on the surface to seek to answer some of life's and faith's most challenging questions, but ultimately, my deepest hope is that you have allowed these questions not to lead you to human answers, but to lead you closer to Jesus. Scripture says, draw near to God, and God will draw near to you. And so may your struggles and your questions draw you closer to Jesus, that you would experience Jesus drawing closer to you, Jesus who himself is actually the answer that you're looking for. Let's pray together. God, there's so many amazing advances in our culture. And as each one unfolds, it continues to make us think that we can have all the answers, that we should have all the answers, and so we seek to try. We chase after knowledge. We chase after understanding. We do the same thing in our faith, God. There are so many things about this life and about, about you, the way that you work in this world that we don't understand, and so often it makes us feel like we must not have faith enough. That if we just had faith enough, we would understand all the things that we are meant to understand. And so God, I just pray this morning that you would help us to know, God, that if you wrote down all of the things, all of the ways that you work, all of the ways that you love us, all of the ways that you interact with creation, the whole world couldn't contain it. And so God, may we draw nearer to you May we know this morning that you are the answer that we're looking for. That you are the one who promises your presence, who promises your comfort, who promises all that we need. And so God, we thank you that you are our creator, that we are your created ones. God, and until you have given us the ability to know otherwise, help us to know that when we ask the question why, that so often you, Jesus, are the answer. So may we draw closer to you. We pray all these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.